Our next speaker is Samuel Mills. Uh, Samuel uh, researches visual neuroscience. He loves brains. He is fascinated by all the different ways they can play up. But he also doubts that there is such a thing as a normal brain. Brains are super weird. His favourite perceptions are pastel colours, mind melancholy, slap bass, and the taste of spaghetti. Please make Sam feel welcome. Hello. Um, so, thank you for having me. Great to be here. I am going to talk about one of my heroes, uh, Dr. Oliver Sacks. Yay! Cool, we have some fans. Uh, I'm calling it the story of the curious and curious Oliver Sacks. So, Oliver Sacks, for those who don't know, was pretty much the David Attenborough of the brain. Uh, they were both uh, dignified old English gents who loved finding the narratives in nature and with a preference and penchant for the poetical. Uh, but instead of exp expeditions to the corners of the natural world, Sachs explored internally, over the edge of the mapped brain. He wrote that neurological patients are travelers to an unimaginable land, and he spent his life trying to follow them there, to understand and map their lives. My interest and career in neuroscience is entirely due to Oliver Sacks and uh, skiing. When I was 14, I was trapped on a mountain on a school trip, and the only entertainment I had was some book about a man who mistook his wife for a hat or to roll myself down a mountain over and over again. So I started reading the book with a silly name, and I realized that it was the best thing I had ever seen. Uh, it was full of the most bizarre stories and told in a way that a 14-year-old with an attitude could understand. Uh, some of my favorites from that book were The Lost Mariner, about a man who couldn't form any new memories. Uh, he lived in the 1980s, but his mind remained forever in the Navy during the war in the 1930s. The disembodied lady who lost an ability that we probably all don't even think about and take for granted. Um, the sense of knowing where your limbs are when you're not looking at them. When she looked away, uh, they would float off until she looked at them and saw what they were doing. Um, the man who fell out of bed, he couldn't recognize his leg as his own anymore and would wake up terrified at this bed, leg in his bed, throw it out, and of course it was attached to him so he would follow. Uh, and Dr. P, the titular man who mistook his wife for a hat, he was completely blind just to faces and certain objects. He could see them, but he couldn't recognize them. And he earned his name when he tried to pluck his wife's head off, mistaking her for a hat stand. Uh, when meeting Dr. Sachs, he heard him coming, stood up, and extended his hands towards the grandfather clock. Um, but the thing that comes through from Sachs's case studies, which you can probably tell from the titles, is that they're not really about the diseases that these people suffered from, but uh, the people. Uh, he felt deeply for the mistreated and the marginalized, and he used his laser-sharp vision to look past the physical problem to the rich inner life that they all had. And so his case studies are really stories of hero's journey, people that are confronted with a problem and struggle to solve it. Uh, but in all his books, as much as he's patient, 
Oliver himself stands out as one of the main characters. He is compassionate, empathetic, witty, uh, but most of all, very curious. So just who was this strange man with exclusive access to all these amazing people? Physically, he was a bear of a man. He was described in the 90s by a journalist, I'm not sure if she was being, I don't know, mean or kind, as a stray Santa. He had a big giant beard, um, and it twitched at the edges like Hagrid, and he had eyes that twinkled like a Dumbledore. That's for you millennials. Uh, but as a young man, uh, there's a rule against props at this event, uh, so I can't show you any images of him, but I do have a photograph here of Sachs at 30 years old during his bodybuilding and motorcycling phase. And at the time, his colleagues called him Dr. Squats. Uh, and for those in the audience, just let me tell you, four. <laughs> Hashtag distractingly sexy. Um, but I think his heart was his biggest muscle. And to illustrate that, I'm going to tell you a story from his hat book. It's called Mrs. O.C. and the Case of Incontinent Nostalgia. Uh, so Mrs. O.C. was an 88-year-old woman living in a nursing home, and one night she wakes up to the sound of incredibly loud music, a female voice singing. So she's confused, jumps out of bed, thinking that somebody has rudely left the radio on, and she walks around, finds that they're all turned off, and then she thinks, maybe one of my fillings is conducting some radio signals. She's heard about that happening. She sounds like a bit of a pistol, to be honest. Uh, but the next morning, she goes to see the doctor, and they say, no, nothing's wrong with you. Physically, you seem fine. And so they called in a neurologist, and to her luck, she got Dr. Sachs. So he comes in, finds that there doesn't seem to be anything obviously neurologically wrong, but she's got this loud music in her head. And their conversations sound like conversation at a bad bar, where they can only talk during the quiet numbers. Um, so he does some more tests and finds that there is some activity in the musical part of her brain. He calls it a musical epilepsy. And his professional opinion is that, though rare, similar cases, these things tend to clear up. And so most doctors may have left it there, but Sachs is always curious. He wants to know deeper. So he inquires. And she tells him a bit of her story. She was born in Ireland in the 1890s. Um, her father died before she was born. Her mother, when she was five, orphaned. She was sent to America to live with a rather forbidding maiden aunt. Oliver Sacks talks a bit like that. He says, W is where R's should be. It's very charming. Um, and she always felt the, this loss very keenly. She didn't know her parents. She didn't know Ireland. And of the songs, Oliver finds out that um, he identifies them as popular Irish ballads from the late 1890s when she was living in Ireland. And he also observes that at the time there was no radio. So he proposes something to her, which strictly isn't really science, but I think shows Oliver's ability to look at someone with a problem and see their, see their heart. So he says... Consider that your brain is where you live. You can't exist without it. And you know how nobody remembers anything from the first, second, third, fourth years of their life? Well, there was a theory at one point, probably not true, 
uh, that those memories are stored somewhere secretly in a room in your house that you aren't aware of. And when something goes awry in a brain, a crack can appear in one of those walls of the house. But let's propose by some coincidence that that crack that's appeared in the wall of your brain is not a floor, but in fact a door to that secret room. And let's propose further that that voice you're hearing isn't from a radio, but the actual voice of your mother singing to you, to you through time. <clears throat> yes, says Mrs. O.C., I quite like that. Um, I feel like I'm a child in Ireland again, she says. I feel my mother's arms, I see her, I hear her voice singing. And, you know, what a gift. Mrs. O.C., who had been frightened by these tunes, now drew deep comfort from them. Uh, but while Oliver was so full of warmth and care for his patients and his friends, the great contradiction of his life is that his personal life was lacking, kind of unfulfilled. He kept his heart in a box for decades. Not literally, scientists. Uh, in his last book, he talks about this and reveals that uh, since the early 70s, when he was about 40, he suffered a series of rejections and admonitions after people uh, found out that he was gay. And he swore off falling in love ever again, became completely celibate leading a monk-like life, dedicating himself just to his work and his patience and pursuits intellectual. And so it went, for 35 years, Oliver's sack remained empty. <laughs> Until, at age 75, he received a bolt from the blue. In 2008, he met a man, Bill Hayes, writer and photographer, and when Bill told Oliver that I have conceived a deep love for you, isn't that a nice way to say it? I am happy to tell you that Sachs found that he too had conceived a deep love for Bill. Uh, and there's an excerpt from Bill. He recently released a memoir talking about his life with Oliver in New York that I think demonstrates Oliver's endearing curiosity. Again, says, notes from a journal, O's 76th birthday. After I kiss him for a long time, it's a bit saucy. <laughs> After I kiss him for a long time, exploring his mouth and his lips with my tongue, he has a look of utter surprise on his face. He says, is that what kissing is, or is that something you've invented? Even as a 76-year-old man, after his first Frenchie, he delights in the unknown and the sensuous. So Oliver Sacks' stories really are a bridge between science and arts, the physical and the personal. And what really comes through from reading his books about his patients as well as himself is the revelation of how close we all are to slipping off the side of the map. One blood clot, one lightning strike, one gene out of place, one hateful comment too many, and we too may be thrown into unimaginable lands. Wishing for an open-minded and kind-hearted person like Sachs, or Bill in Sachs's case, to reach out to. So finally, I would like to list some fast facts about Oliver Sacks. I call this part of the talk, Sacks Facts. <laughs> In the 60s, one evening, while experimenting with a heady mix of amphetamines, LSD, and a little cannabis, a passing spider speaks to Oliver and asks him a rather complex question about mathematical theory. 
Sachs patiently explained his thoughts on the subject. Perhaps some of you have come across this particular genus of spider. Uh, he was a very active member of the Fern Society, a society dedicated to fern appreciation. He held a California record for bodybuilding after he performed a full squat with about 300 kilograms across his shoulder. And that is how you get to get the title of Dr. Squats. Uh, like the main character from his hat book, Sachs also suffered from severe face blindness. And he considered this the reason for his shyness, which he also considered a disease. He once fell off a cliff in Norway while trying to escape from a bull. He said at the bottom of the mountain there was a sign that said, beware of the bull, but he thought, that's just Norwegian sense of humour. <laughs> uh, he has a planet named after him, 84928 Oliver Sacks, which sounds a bit like a helpline. <laughs> and on his failed career as a bench scientist, after eating a sandwich over a very expensive ultra-centrifuge and crumbs got into it, they told him, Sacks, you're a menace, go out and see some patients. Pretty good advice. Uh, he never sent a text message or an email and wrote on a typewriter or pen and paper, uh, which is funny because he would have been a really kick-ass blogger. On the subject of his own imminent death after receiving his cancer diagnosis, he wrote in the New York Times, when people die, they cannot be replaced. They leave holes that cannot be filled, for it is the fate, the genetic and neural fate, of every human to be a unique individual to find their own path, to live their own life, to die their own death. He also said, fuck it, I don't want to die. <laughs> and we did not want you to either, Dr. Sachs. Uh, thank you very much. Have a great science week, everybody. <laughs> Stay curious.